0: Revelation chapter 13, our theme is the Antichrist and the false prophet. By way of setting the scene, I would remind us that the seventh seal of the scroll is opened by Jesus and it introduced the seven trumpet judgments. We've studied the judgments contained in the first six trumpets, And remember that the seven trumpets are part of the seventh seal. So we've studied the first six trumpets, and now we came to the seventh trumpet that sounded in Revelation chapter 12, verse 15. And it sets in motion the final events leading up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his earthly millennial kingdom. The seventh trumpet calls for prolonged waves of judgment on the ungodly, and these prolonged waves will again come in sequences. This seventh trumpet is going to have seven bowls. And so God has divided up the punishment for ungodliness on this world into sequential specified... Judgment allowing time for anybody who wants to repent to repent. Now, if that's not mercy, tell me what it is. And so we're going to have prolonged waves of judgment on the ungodly. And this will end at the Battle of Armageddon when Jesus comes down and with his host, the army, and defeats Antichrist places Antichrist and the false prophet in hell and establishes his millennial kingdom. Revelation 13, which is part of the seventh trumpet information. And the seventh trumpet information, which began at chapter 11, verse 15, we'll go through chapter 16. So we'll be in the seventh trumpet information for several more Sundays. In chapter 13, we learn about Antichrist and the false prophet. So, what does God want us to know through the Apostle John, his vision about the Antichrist? And this is contained in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13. We'll begin with his description in verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, John. Speaking, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. The sea symbolizes the Gentile nations. The way we know that it's revealed in four chapters later, chapter 17, verse 15 which tells us that the seas is a symbol for the non-Jewish peoples of the earth, the Gentile peoples. And from one of the Gentile nations, Antichrist arises. In Revelation 17, verse 9, we learn that the seven heads, this beast rising out of the sea, had seven heads. The seven heads are actually seven mountains. Now, if God hadn't told us how to interpret this uh, symbolic figure, you and I would never have guessed that seven heads were seven mountains. But God also gave us the key to this interpretation. The ten horns, according to Daniel seven twenty-four and revelation chapter seventeen, verses twelve through fourteen, represent ten kingdoms. So it appears that the Antichrist will lead a ten-nation coalition. Listen to Revelation 17, verses 12 through 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. There you have God's revelation about the symbolism. Who have received no kingdom as yet. So this is yet uh, future. But they receive authority for one hour One hour, don't take that literally, that simply means a short period of time. The Antichrist, let me just pause in our reading of Revelation 17, 12 through 14 to explain that Antichrist reveals himself as Antichrist, the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. The midpoint is called the abomination of desolation from Daniel 7:24 The antichrist will reveal himself uh, to not be this nice guy that everybody thought was such a hero when he brought a solution to the conflict between Israel and the surrounding nations he's going to establish a a peace treaty with Israel and the Arabs with Israel and which allows Israel to rebuild their temple And I don't know if you've done any research on the internet about the Israeli temple. There's a a group of people about Jews who have assembled all of the equipment needed to reinstitute the priestly activity. They even now have a red heifer that passes the qualifications that would need to be sacrificed and the ashes used to uh, dedicate and consecrate the garments and the instruments for uh, to resume priestly sacrifices in Jerusalem. All they're waiting for is the permission to build the temple and they even have the cornerstone they're going to use but at the present time on the temple mount you know who has authority over that Temple Mount area, it's the Palestinian Arabs. It's the Palestinian Arabs that came from Jordan uh, years ago. And uh, when they conquered uh, Israel and had Jerusalem as their own, uh, they were in charge. And why Israel, when they liberated Jerusalem, allowed the Arabs to control that sacred footage where the temple used to be is a mystery to me but that's nothing new. There's a lot of things I don't know. However um, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the third most holy site in Islam (coughs) is located on the Temple Mount. That's not the Dome of the Rock. It's that Building on the southernmost part of the Temple Mount, which is a mosque, the third most sacred uh, holy site for Islam. And so that's to keep peace, I suppose. Um, they, they allowed the Arabs to have control and authority over the Temple Mount area. And that's why they're not about to give the Jews permission to build a temple there. It would take some awesome politician to be able to talk the, the Arab peoples, Islamic peoples, into allowing the Jews that they hate to build the temple on that mount, wouldn't it? And so you see that this uh, Antichrist is going to come on the scene as a great peaceman. We saw that in the first seal on the white horse in chapter 6 where he makes peace, and that's probably where Antichrist comes on the scene as the political uh, savior that that lowers the temperature to keep the Middle East from exploding into horrible warfare. Coming back then, Uh, This one hour short time is going to be the last three and a half years. So you see how short that is? Three and a half years? When Antichrist sets up his kingdom, it won't take long for this ten nation confederation to assemble and unite behind him and agree with what he wants to do. And they'll give... Now notice this. The kings with the beast. This is the Antichrist. These are of one mind. And they will give their power and authority to the beast. To the Antichrist. And these. The Antichrist with his. Coalition will make war. With the lamb. With Jesus. And the lamb. Jesus will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords. And king of kings. And those who are. With him are the saints who are called, chosen, and faithful. (coughs) They've been obedient. We continue with the description of the Antichrist. Verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a, a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. The dragon is Satan. Gives him, Antichrist, his power, his throne, and great authority. God permits Satan certain power, certain privileges. You remember Satan offered Jesus this very thing. When Jesus was tempted, worship me and I will give you the kingdoms of the world, the devil said. Well, they're his to give. Because of Adam's sin, Adam was the king of this earth, under God's sovereignty. And when Adam chose to unite with his wife in rebellion against God's word, they surrendered their authority to Satan. And Satan became the king, the god, little g, of this world. And so Satan has that authority that God lets him have. It won't be forever, but he lets him have it to accomplish his ultimate purposes. The Antichrist power is derived from Satan. And remember, Antichrist begins his career, as we just said, as a peacemaker, Revelation 6-2. And solve the Arab-Israeli problem by making a covenant with the Jews for seven years. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 describes that covenant, making it possible for the Jewish temple to be built. Listen to Daniel 9.27. He, the prince that comes, which is not Jesus, it's the Antichrist, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. One seven is seven years. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years into... This time he will put an end to sacrifice. To put an end to sacrifice, you've got to have sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, at the temple, so that tells us that when this happens, there will be a temple in Jerusalem. At the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. And when Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 of the Olivet Discourse in verse 15 said, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about, then you know the time is near, and that will happen at the midpoint of that seven-year period. And here's the basis for saying that. He'll set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That will last for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. In the middle of the week, the seven-year tribulation period, Antichrist will break the covenant, declare himself to be God. In Revelation 13, 3 through 5, we move from a description of the Antichrist to information that reveals the Antichrist will receive a mortal wound and will be healed Evidently, someone's going to try to assassinate this man that the Bible calls Antichrist. And he's going to receive a mortal wound and he'll die. But watch what happens. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. The Antichrist is attacked, receives a deadly wound, is miraculously healed. Listen to Revelation 17.8. The beast that you saw, get these verbs, was, is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit to go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. I'm going to explain that. This sounds like Satan working through his followers is given permission by God to bring back to life the Antichrist who died and had gone to hell. Absent from the body, for a sinner, present in hell. He was, he lived, and is not, he was killed by a mortal wound, and yet is, then was miraculously brought back to life. Do you know anybody who was crucified, And died, buried, and brought back to life. And people saw them. Do you know anybody? Jesus. And the devil is a great copycat. And so he's going to have his man, his Christ, his Messiah, the devil's Messiah, killed, dead, and brought back to life. To copy, imitate the miracle of Jesus Christ's resurrection. If God allows Satan to give life to a dead idol, and we're going to see in Revelation 13, 15, that an idol is man-made and he's going to be able to impart life to it, could not God allow Satan to return life to a dead body? I think that makes the best sense of what we're reading here. Listen to Revelation 13, 15. He, that's the false prophet now, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. The image of the beast. Not the beast. The image of the beast. So you're going to have Antichrist. and We haven't come to him yet. You're going to have the false prophet. We haven't come to him. And then you're going to have an image that the false prophet makes that we'll, he'll set up in the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And this image can speak and breathe and issue orders, listen to this, he gives breath, he was granted power, notice this, was granted power, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So a miracle of healing, bringing Antichrist back from the dead, convinces the world that Antichrist is the Messiah, God, little g. So they worship the dragon. The dragon is Satan, who gave authority to the beast, Antichrist. And they worship the beast, Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast? Who is like the Antichrist? Who is able to make war with him? Remember, Antichrist, Antichrist, Ten nation coalition. Who are those ten nations? That's speculation. We will not go there. We're not told who they are. So we don't know. But obviously they'll be very very powerful and who's able to make war against Antichrist with this kind of a coalition backing him with the armies of these ten nations. So the Antichrist receives worship from the watching world. The Antichrist is a military leader that causes nations to fear him. And worship is the one thing Satan has always wanted. Remember Matthew chapter 4, 8 through 10, where he said to Jesus, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You can bypass the cross. You can be the, the man if you worship me. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written thou shalt worship God in him alone. And so the worship that Satan has always wanted, he will receive through the beast, the Antichrist. Verse 5, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Divide 12 Months and a year into 42 and you have three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Notice the phrase was given. Neither Satan nor the Antichrist can do anything without God's permission. I say hallelujah. Our God is sovereign. You and I can't figure out why he lets the devil do as much as he lets him do. That's because we don't see things and understand like he does. God does. But we can trust him. Amen? He knows what he's doing. The authority of the Antichrist lasts three and a half years, which is the last half of the seven-year tribulation period. Now we can move from his description and that mortal wound where he's healed to the information that Antichrist defies God and seeks to destroy those Who worship God. Verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, then he opened his mouth, Antichrist, in blasphemy against God. So he's going to curse God, the Father, to blaspheme his name, and he's going to blaspheme the temple and those who dwell in heaven. He reflects the attitude of Satan who hates. God, and anything holy. It was granted to him, verse 7, to make war with the saints. Notice again, granted. God allows him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to kill them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Notice the two groups. Those who worship Antichrist and do his bidding, group one. And group two, the saved. Those who do have their names written in the book of life. The world will not worship the real Christ, but they will receive a false Christ. Isn't that interesting? It has always amazed me. And I've commented uh, frequently to my wife and to others how that God does not require His people to sacrifice their children to Moloch, like the ancient Near Eastern religions surrounding Israel. He doesn't require His people to tattoo their bodies, cut their bodies. But people who don't want anything to do with the God who is a God of love and a God of kindness will um, sacrifice their children through abortion. Not think a thing about it. They'll tattoo their bodies because the world says it's... uh, body art, and it's good, and it's the thing to do, and and they're happy to do it. If Christianity required people to have two tattoos, you'd find people squawking, why does God require me to have tattoos? It hurts. No, God doesn't require that, but the devil comes along and says, tattoos are wonderful, and the world says, tattoos are wonderful, and who cares how much it hurts? Let's have a tattoo, and the world flocks. After the things that the world holds up, but reviles, rejects, and ridicules the things that God says we're to do and what we're not to do. Now, if that's not spiritual insanity, please tell me what it is. There's some mixed up, terribly mixed up thinking that goes on in the minds of sinners. It's like Jesus said, "I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, him you will receive." Now isn't that crazy? Paul wrote about the antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 8 through 12. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's talking about at the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the seven year period. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. When people see miracles, they say, Oh, that's the power of God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The devil can cause miracles to happen. God can cause miracles to happen. And the presence of miracles and miraculous things taking place doesn't mean it's of God at all. Then how are we supposed to know when miraculous things take place, whether it's from God or from Satan? You always... Prove everything. First Thessalonians says, Prove everything and hold fast to that which is good, which measures up to the word of God. Look at the lives of the people who are doing the miracles. Investigate into their ethics, into their morality, into their theological teaching. And if it's according to the word of God, then it's from God. But if it's not according to the word of God, then it's not from God. And it doesn't matter how miraculous something was. If it's not from God, it's from the devil. And we should have nothing to do with it. Amen? So, lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God has given us the truth. We are in the West blessed with the abundance of the truth, the word of God. Is the West experiencing a revival of true saving faith and walking in holy lifestyle? Absolutely not. Are many, many, many people claiming to be Christians? Absolutely they are. And does their life substantiate their claim to be Christian? Absolutely not. But do they believe they're Christian? Yes, they do. And nothing you and I do or say can convince a person who's convinced he's all right with God that he's not all right with God. We have people who are practicing homosexual lifestyle in the United States who claim to be saved, who are leaders of churches, who claim that this is a loving, rightful way that God created them and that they have every right to express their own creative Constitution, contrary to the word of God. And there are millions of people who say, well, we want to be nice and loving and kind. Of course, Christians must be loving and kind. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart. The second, love your neighbors yourself. But it's not unloving to recognize error Sin and kindly telling people that what you're doing is contrary to the word of God. That is not hate speech. That is loving admonition, assuming your attitude is right. But people will call black white, and they'll call white black. And then they'll try to use the word of God to support the view. The devil is, he is a master at deceiving people. And I pray regularly to God, God, please protect me from the deception of the devil. I need your protection. I immerse my mind in the word of God daily so that I can tell right from wrong and be led by the spirit and not be led into deception. I hope you're praying that God will protect you. That we will receive the truth and walk in it. The world will not believe the truth, but they will believe the lie. They think it's the truth. And they receive the blasphemous words of the beast, the Antichrist. And This section ends in verses 9 and 10 with an exhortation to the people of God. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear... Let him hear. That means the vision of the beast from the sea concludes with a call for spiritual understanding and instructions from for the saved who lived at this who live at this time. And the instructions will come in verse ten. Verse ten reads: He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. What does that mean? This statement contains important practical truth for those believers alive at the time of Antichrist persecution. They are to depend on God's sovereign will for their lives. Those believers that God allows to be captured by Antichrist forces are to accept that captivity as God's will for their life. doesn't mean they have to like it. You do your best if a Christian is living at that time, missed the rapture, got saved after, and is seeking to serve Christ and is captured by the Antichrist forces. Nobody wants to be captured. Of course not. But God says, it's my will if you're captured. Excuse me. You are to accept that captivity as God's will. And those that God allows to die. And we always pray that God will deliver them. But he doesn't always do that. They must not retaliate against their persecutors. They are to exemplify what it means to persevere and maintain their faith in the face of persecution. Now, I want to just explain what we're talking about is religious persecution here. We're not talking about thieves, robbers, drug addicts breaking into your house to rob you, molest you, destroy you, kill you. Yes, it's right to protect your family against those kind of people. That's not religious persecution. That's lawless people violating the law and seeking to perpetrate their crime upon inhabitants, and if inhabitants have the ability to stop them, then they should stop them. But this is religious persecution. That's different. And if you and I are attacked by authorities that have made laws that it's illegal to be a Christian. And if you be a Christian, you're subject to not only jail, but to execution. It's not right, biblically, for you and I to pull out our concealed weapons and shoot them between the eyes and say, in the name of Jesus, I resist you. Religious persecution is a different category, totally than the defense of your family against crime. And I hope you understand the difference here. Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Remember that beatitude? Rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets before you. We come now to verses 11 through 18, the false prophet description of the beast out of the earth. Antichrist is out of the sea, the Gentile nations. The false prophet is a beast out of the earth. I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to make this assumption since there's only two classes of people, Jew and Gentile. Since the beast out of the seas are the Gentile peoples, we're not told explicitly the ethnic Nature of the beast out of the earth, but my assumption is, this person will be Jewish, not gentile. The false prophet. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. And what kind of horns do a lamb? Does a lamb have little nubbings, little bitty bumps on their head? Yet he will speak like a dragon. So he's going to be, look as meek as a lamb, and yet speak with the power and forcefulness of a dragon. In Revelation 16, 13, chapter 19, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 10, we learn that the beast out of the earth is called, and the phrase is there, the false prophet. This false prophet looks like a lamb, but speaks powerfully and forcefully like a dragon. The Antichrist will be primarily a political and military leader, but the false prophet will be a religious leader. So when you get political, military, and religion all joined together, you have a pretty powerful force. The dragon, Satan, is the counterfeit father Remember in Isaiah 14 I will be like the most high and he he coveted God's the father's position that was his sin the sin of arrogance and pride The beast out of the sea is the counterfeit Christ the antichrist and the beast out of the earth the false prophet is the equivalent of a counterfeit holy spirit This is the satanic trinity which fights against the Holy Trinity. Now, what's the role of the beast out of the earth, the false prophet? Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, in his presence, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ And to lead people to trust and worship him. Listen to John 16, 13. Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. And he will glorify me. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Well, the main ministry of the false prophet is to point to Antichrist and his image and compel people to worship Antichrist. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Great signs, it's the same phrase used of Jesus' miracles which indicates the false prophet performs signs that counterfeit Christ's miracles. Fire comes down from heaven. Back in chapter 11, we read about the two witnesses who could call down fire from heaven. Well, so can the false prophet. And when God sent Moses in before Pharaoh and had Moses turn his staff into a snake, could the Magicians of Pharaoh turned their stabs into stakes? Yes. Yes, they could. Duplicate the miracle. Then Moses' staff came over and swallowed and ate up the magician's staff. But mark it down, folks. The devil can perform miracles. Yes, he can. Verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So the power of Satan to deceive is shared by the false prophet. He's the Antichrist minister of propaganda. The false prophet makes an image of the Antichrist and he will lead the worldwide cult of Antichrist worship and the world will flock after Antichrist, the false Christ, and they rejected the true and living Christ. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Verse 16, he causes all, this is the false prophet, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Verse 17, And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the image of Antichrist not only speaks but also passes a sentence of death upon all who would not worship it. In the final days of Antichrist, only those who are willing to die for their faith will resist the mark of Antichrist. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Six, six, six. Now, The number 666 is not inherently evil. And to have $666 is not evil. If you think it is, I'll take your contribution of $666 anytime. And to have the number of your house address to be 666 is not superstitiously the mark of the devil. And no Christian would want that. God doesn't expect us to be superstitious about numbers. But in the ancient world the letters of the alphabet were used for numbers. It's still true both in Greek and in Hebrew. And Bible scholars have made made many attempts to unravel the mystery of this name and number. And all such attempts have failed. I think what we learn from that is that you and I are to avoid speculation and avoid people who tell you they know who the Antichrist is. Go on the internet and Google the Antichrist. Now they'll show you a picture of our president. Is he the Antichrist? They have been putting prominent people's names up as Antichrist as long as this scripture has been written. And they have said uh, Nero was the Antichrist. I remember Nixon was the Antichrist. Obama is the Antichrist. Um, Every president was the Antichrist. And uh, then Russian, uh, Stalin was the Antichrist. Hitler was the Antichrist. None of those people were the Antichrist. So, who is the Antichrist? Answer, God has not revealed to us who it is. And anybody who comes along and wants to speculate to you, just remember what I'm telling you. That such people, most likely, will be wrong because Antichrist will not be revealed until there's a league of peace with Israel and the Arab people and the temple is going to be built. At that time, whoever the political person who works that out is, that's Antichrist. And he hasn't come on the scene yet. You with me? Could he come on the scene today? Yeah! He could come on the scene anytime God wants him to come on the scene. But I don't want you to say, is the social security number, are, are these numbers, are, is this identity, are all these things the mark of the beast? The answer is no, you will clearly know what is the mark of the beast because all the Christians who are really Christians will be, have gone and you'll be left here scared, spitless, thinking you were one of those that were the true Christian and the rapture took place and you didn't make it then be very leery after that takes place of any numbers to buy and sell. But don't allow other people to... I've heard so many conspiracies. And that's why you don't hear preaching typically in most churches on the book of Revelation because... People of high renown have made money with their books and their, their television programs and soliciting all these people to support them. And every one of them has been wrong on their identification, folks. And so people get it right up to here with all of this speculation, and rightly so. So don't let these people who tell you they know who it is turn you off. Just know they don't know what they're talking about. Here's what the scripture has to say. We conclude. We've reached the last three and a half years of the tribulation in our study. This is that period is known as the Great Tribulation. As we see the tri- the judgments that are going to come in this last three and a half years, they will far out eclipse everything we've read so far. Chapter 12 introduces us to the Great Dragon, Satan who is the primary adversary of God, chapter 13, we meet the two great forces used by Satan to accomplish his nefarious plans, Antichrist and the false prophet. The stage is being set for the final encounter of the war between the satanic trinity, Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet versus the holy trinity, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And that. Final battle will be fought at the end of the seven year tribulation period, the end of the last three and a half years of the great tribulation period, at the Battle of Armageddon. We've been talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet from Revelation chapter 13. Isn't it comforting to know that you and I don't have to be deceived? That we can know the truth, that we can have a personal relationship with God, the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ, empowered, enabled by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I know of no greater privilege on the face of the earth than to be a child of God. Let us bow our heads for prayer.